We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined by Darius. And last night, Lakers lost in Denver, very shorthanded. LeBron ended up not playing at all. And they competed. They kind of maintained this identity of tenacity that they'd been uh, playing with and made things a little bit annoying for Denver cut it to five I think in the third quarter but it was never really a a game that was in doubt and ended up falling uh to the nuggets so today's pod I, I we can get into yesterday's game uh, to whatever degree you'd like D but today I'd really like to reflect because yesterday was the halfway point of the regular season and it has been a wild ride between uh from the beginning of training camp until now in which I think we've learned a lot about the team. I think we're in a much stronger and healthier place, uh, but it hasn't been everything that I expected it to be. So I'd love to reflect with you, man, on um, over these last few months on where this team has been so we can help determine where the team is going. Well, I'm interested to hear what you mean by it's not exactly what you thought. Is it because of how they've changed or like just the it's, general it's shape players, of the team? Yeah, it's, it's one of those things where like, at the, you know how in in poker and like Texas Hold'em you have the flop, right? So you have your two cards that you have in your hand that only you get to see, and like, okay, this is what I'm dealing with. Do I want to participate in this hand or not? And then the first three cards kind of flop on the table and changes it more than any other card really impacts kind of what your hand is. Sort of like that, right? Like we had this, we have this roster of, uh, I think, fourteen players at at its max. We had this roster of 14 players and the combinations therein of five man units that work of this guy is going to be good with that guy. Like you could guess and theorize and do all of that. But the guys that actually do end up emerging and where and what does the shape of the team look like? Uh, I Yeah, I, I, it's been it's been fascinating. It was always going to be something where there's no way you could guess what it would be ahead of time. But seeing it unfold, I think, has been it's one of the stories of the season. Yeah. And so I think building on on that specific idea, I think that we all had general thoughts about what the team should be, what it was looking like at the very beginning of the season and how we thought it might change. And then 
what actually did not happen. Mm-hmm. And so to me, a big part of this season to this point is all the stuff that hasn't happened yet. And it's all the stuff that mm-hmm. we've talked about and thought would happen by this point and maybe won't happen at all. What maybe are you still to? might happen. I'm mostly talking about trades. We've talked about this ad nauseum on the pod, so I don't want to dive into it too, too much. But I didn't think Russell Westbrook would still be here on this specific team. And to get to the point where after the 41st game, it's Russ. And I think this is part of the fact of who played and who didn't. LeBron didn't play. AD didn't play. And so like the general leadership of the team first isn't there to sort of reflect it all. But it was Russ, I thought, who was offering the comments about the identity of the team and what this team has become and and how that identity then informs what happens when other people aren't there to play, right? And I thought those comments reflect sort of the general ethos of this group right now. And it's interesting that this Russ is the guy that's delivering those, right? Because Mm -hmm. I didn't think he would be here at this point. I think that's really the headline of those, like not what I expected it is. At this point, Russ is very much part of the identity of the team. And there are, you know, I don't know what trades are available or whatever, but the way we and a lot of people had talked about the Russ situation was it's a matter of if and not when. And if it wasn't when, it was this, like, how could you not trade him? How could you not make a move that would make the team better uh, in, in this year and help LeBron and AD compete for a title? Whereas now I think there's a little bit more like, He's that that to me is one of the biggest storyline. That to me is one of the biggest surprises of the first part of the year is that he is very much locked into a role on this team that to whatever degree he did not fit into last year's team. He seems to very much fit into this year's team. We're not done with the story of of figuring out what our final rotation is going to be and who fits in where. But there are certain guys that have kind of earned their spot and have have really like locked into a position. And Russ coming as the leader of that bench unit we'd been talking about him as this afterthought as this guy that's basically an expiring contract earlier in the season and especially over the course of the summer really only through the lens of a trade but he's been an integral part of what the actual team not only is on the court but its mentality and it's like which you were speaking to a moment ago of like we're going to be tenacious we're going to compete i've loved his defense the last the last few games yeah just that level of like He's become a, a part of what we're doing in a way that I, I don't think anyone really expected. Well, it sort of speaks to a lot of the things we discussed last season, right? And I remember you um, sort of banging your head against the wall to a certain extent with like, you know, if, if you're going to trade for Russell Westbrook, you ultimately become a Russell Westbrook team. That's right. And which we always thought was a super interesting idea just because – a LeBron James team is always a LeBron team and how those two would come together and make it work. Or I think to most people's perspectives, how it would not work, (laughs) then that was sort of the undercurrent and the backdrop of last year's Lakers season. And then when no changes were made coming into this season, it was the sort of you're doomed to repeat the mistakes of your past, mm-hmm. right? And the Lakers in their own way have found um, a middle ground that I think has worked 
relatively well for them, particularly after they've had their entire group healthy. Right. Um, I wrote an article earlier during the season, and it was right before Dennis Schroeder and Thomas Bryant returned. And I had talked about how the Lakers really needed a whole roster in order to compete to the level in which they envisioned they wanted to compete. And whether or not they would be able to get there or not is a whole different story. But it was based off of these comments towards the end of the preseason where Darvin just said, like, I just want a whole team. And he's never really gotten that this entire time. That's another theme of the season that has not changed as much as we would have liked. And we could get into that as much as you want or don't want to later. But in that article that that I wrote, I think I sort of I even undersold the levels in which TB and Dennis could contribute. Like I was looking at them way, way more through the lens of their path that had led them to the point that they were before they had even played really a regular season game for the Lakers, right? Which was TB. I don't think him being looked at very highly. Like at the start of the season, he was really in a real battle for minutes at the center position with Damian Jones. And and even to a certain extent, when you Gabriel, um, there were times where TB was the third big man Mm -hmm. during the preseason and he was playing well during his shifts, but you could tell that his rope was pretty short during those shifts. And that it was, I felt like whenever he made a defensive mistake, like he, it just knocked him down another, like another rung Mm -hmm. on the ladder. And and, and then with Dennis, I really did view him as the guy who had been on like five teams in four seasons and the guy who basically got banished from the Celtics and, mm-hmm. and a Celtics team that then made their run almost immediately after he got traded, a guy who ended up on the Rockets. And the Rockets could have used another, I think, veteran sort of playmaker type of guy, maybe a third guard, and they just let him walk for nothing. And a guy who signed for the minimum. And it's just like, and he had a very good summer for Germany, but then um, he missed the first part of training camp and he seemed a little bit behind when he did come back. And I was just like, hey, these guys are going to help, but they're not going to solve the Lakers problems. And the Lakers problems are a different thing and solving them is a whole nother conversation, but they've helped way more than what I thought thought was really possible within the context of of this specific group to the point where I'm more excited about what they could look like when AD comes back as well. Mm -hmm. And and there's some of that, uh, I think, optimism that's lurking. And that to me, the growth of that belief in the team I think that that's happened both externally and internally. And and I'd love to get your thoughts on that part as well. Yeah, I think, you know, Dennis and TB linked up thumbs and uh, turned around the Lakers season uh, with their play, but also their their attitude and their optimism and their their effort. Right. Like that with Dennis in particular. Remember when we signed Dwight. Right. And Dwight was one of those guys that was out of the league, not because of his talent, but because he his talent had dropped to a certain uh, point where it was like, ah, the other stuff that comes with him isn't quite worth it. I think Dennis was in kind of a similar spot around the league in terms of like, yeah, he's a good player, but he you know doesn't fit, especially in a league that like with Boston's offense, it's so ball movement, keep the sequence going type. Whereas Dennis likes to feel the ball and it can kind of stop it a, a little bit and can is more of a get his own type of guy that I think is way more suited to the type of offense that, that we run. But um, 
if you listen to Dennis's comments, like he sounded like a very determined guy. He sounded like somebody that was like, I'm here to prove a point and to show who I am from a personal standpoint. He was a guy that reportedly had a nice contract extension on the table just two, two years ago that all of the stuff that you uh, explained happened since then. And now he's a vet minimum guy and he's in a place where he's trying to show who he is. Right. And TB uh, similar thing, but with injuries. And, you know, he's a guy that was a second round pick Lakers, let him go at the end of his rookie year, ends up catching on Washington and does very well. Then has a couple of seasons of injuries. Um, and we find ourselves here. TB to me is the swing guy going forward in that, I'm did you hear LeBron the other day kind of uh fantasizing about having AD and TB on the court at the same time? That was something that uh had some really interesting post-game comments on that topic. And to me, if you think Thomas Bryant is a two-shift player in the playoffs, now there's debate to be had around that because of his defensive abilities. I think we have enough to cover for him on an Anthony Davis team and on a team that has just other size and defenders. And he's so good on offense that it makes it worth it. I think you can get two shifts out of TB in the playoffs. And if that's the case, that really changes the shape of the team, right? One of the storylines of this first half of the season, half of the season is how small they were culminating in a five guard lineup, which I'd never seen before in, in Dallas. Well, if AD comes back, and TB still starts, it's the exact opposite. You got a front court of LeBron James, Anthony Davis, and Thomas Bryant. That's massive. And then, yeah, you could totally have a couple small guards back there if you got that much size at the other positions. And it also changes, and this is one of the things I think we'll get into more and more over multiple pods, to me, how you look at the trade market. That's one of the real things about this start to the season. We have so much more information than we did at the beginning of the season about what we need, what we don't need. I'm actually really glad that we've waited until this point because my opinions have changed quite a bit on what positions I think we need uh, as we approach this uh, trade deadline, which is less than a month away now. I, I'm really glad we have the information that we have now because that's changed and TB is a big part of that. So I'm curious where you stand on TB. Like it's one thing to win these January games and you can do a lot of that with hustle and motor and all of that, but Big, slow-footed guys get picked on in the playoffs. And these are the things that uh, – that that's where we're trying to go, right? And so just curious your thoughts on on TB and how he fits into that because I think if you can get two shifts out of him, our priorities for a trade shift. Yeah, I'll be interested. So one of the things that has happened with the Lakers is that they have become less of a defensive team and way more of an offensive team, mm -hmm. right? And – one of the things that I think helps your defense is when it can get set. And so the Lakers are still going to be a relatively bad transition defense team. I think they have guys who like to talk to the refs when things mm -hmm. go poorly. They have guys who end up on the ground a fair amount when they mm -hmm. attack the basket. They just play at a numbers disadvantage a fair amount. They also have guys who like to go to the offensive glass. TB goes to the offensive glass. Wenyon goes to the offensive glass. Um, AD, LeBron, right? Um, even a guy like Beverly likes to crash both from the top of the key and from the corner. You can crash from the corner. It's much harder to crash from the top of the key when you're a guard. You typically have back responsibilities there. But the Lakers try to manufacture offensive possessions a lot of times because especially their identity as a team has been as a bad offensive team. And so earlier during the season, you need those extra possessions. 
right? Especially when you're kicking the ball all over the court and you're a relatively high turnover team and then you're not getting the ball back in other ways and, and you're missing jump shots and this, this, that, the other. Mm-hmm. And I think that that idea has sort of informed their offensive approach a lot, even though their offense has been greatly improved and probably been like one of the better offensive teams in the league over the course of the last month and a half or two months. Mm-hmm. And Thomas Bryant's an important part of that offensive identity and a guy who can really score on the interior. But we talked about this, like even really pop his jumper out to 18 feet with relatively consistency. Like I think he shot 46 or 45 percent against the Nuggets like he right. And it was sort of just like you're sort of shocked that the shots aren't going in. And some mm-hmm. of them, they were just bad luck, rattle in and out a couple of jump hooks. But even his jumper, I was just like, oh, his jumper didn't fall. Like, that's surprising because yeah. we've been seeing it fall at such a high rate. And so I, I don't know how much TB can survive defensively in a high leverage playoff series where he's getting targeted and pick and rolls a bunch. But I'd love to see how it looks with a very defensively engaged LeBron James and a very defensively engaged Anthony Davis flanking a Thomas Bryant, right? Like it's one thing, like when it was those two guys and like Dwight Howard, it felt like you couldn't score at all. Mm-hmm. Like it just felt like, oh, good luck, right? Um, it's not going to be like that with TB in the middle. They're going to target him in handoff actions and then pick and roll actions. And, and But his offensive ability to score inside and this ability to – and he's a good enough passer where you could play high-low, I think, mm-hmm. a lot oh, yeah. with him and AD. And AD could look for him. And if AD can get back into the rhythm – that he was in before he got hurt, where his jumper was starting to fall too. There are interesting spacing dynamics that you can play with two bigs that don't even necessarily mean you have to space all the way out to the three that's to right. the three-point line. You can start there, but that's not how you have to work in the middle of possessions, right? And so I'd love to see the Lakers get back to playing bigger more often. Um, they just don't have that extra big on the roster right now. Damian Jones has not been good enough to be a guy that says, okay, we'll go play a second big together. Now the two bigs that you have are Wenyon and TB right now. And those guys need to play center almost exclusively, right? With LeBron being the swing guy. Um, So yeah, I, my ears did perk up when LeBron talked about, Hey, I could see us doing some things. And it's because of like, TB's offensive skill that I think LeBron why it why LeBron is envisioning that and then just the idea of having like another big dude in the middle of the paint and just hanging around and being able to rebound that stuff is going to trigger the Lakers transition offense and, and a lot of stuff that is a part of their core identity it potentially frees up Anthony Davis as well uh when he comes back to do other things uh, you know when you're in that five spot you're pretty much committed to defending a lot of ball screens in today's NBA. Whereas if you're at the fourth spot, you can kind of roam around and address whatever problem there is right now. If TB is at the five, that might mean AD is, you know, uh, cheating a little more toward helping, uh, helping TB out. But that's the point, right? Is that you can deploy him in a bunch of different ways that those rim runs that we loved that, you know, where he'd close out on a guy and keep running. And then LeBron would just throw it up. Like he was Calvin Johnson and go get it. And, 
And he'd do that. That's much more difficult when AD's at the five spot contesting shots around the rim. Meanwhile, TB's ability to control the defensive glass has been one of the most impressive parts to me about his defensive game that has made me think like, okay, I think we can make this work because that is like, it it don't matter if AD is leaking out and you can't get the ball. You can't get the rebound. And that's something that was one of the big storylines of the first half of this season that I think we've really improved at is our defensive rebounding D like we've gotten much better at that. And that's, you know, that's something that, as we go bigger or if we go bigger, that's something that can continue and become a real strength of the team. One last point on that is that who's to say that it always has to be TB who is defending in those screen it like in that screen game too. It's just like, yep. there may be times where you actually say like, yeah, AD, we still want you doing all of this center stuff and being in the middle of the frame defensively because you're the best at that. One of the reasons why the Lakers defense has fallen off to the way that it has is because they don't have that guy who can do everything in the middle and TB isn't that. But right. I, I could also imagine where it's TB who is like the guy who is maybe hanging around the dunker spot defensively right as the secondary big and him going to either close out and then rim run while ad is the guy who is monitoring like there's just a lot that you can do with ad where it's like you don't have to use him as the four quote unquote ad like tb could do some of that stuff too and it plays to his strengths as i think a defender too where he is much more a weak side shot blocker than he is a middle of the frame shot blocker and there's a difference in skill set there ad is both he can do anything but tb you may be able to line him up in in other ways as well let's go to break here because on the next part i do want to talk more about like not just Russ, but what we've learned from more of the perimeter guys and the identity of some of the wing players. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So, Pete, I thought you made a very astute point the other day um, in one of the pods last week where you talked about how the guys who currently aren't injured, they are sort of the nasty physical players Mm -hmm. that that remain. Right. And so Austin's hurt. Austin's a great, um, I think, or a wonderful like skill guard. And he's got some big guard tendencies. Yeah. 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 But he's got some big guard tendencies offensively, but defensively he is much, he is much more of a position player Mm -hmm. a beat you to the spot player and anticipatory player. 
Lonnie, similarly, we've talked about some of how his game is more of a finesse-based game. And Troy Brown, while I think he's done well to sort of muscle up when when he has has to, still is not like the rug, sort of that rugged player that like mm-hmm. a JTA is. And so when we talked earlier about Russ and some of the stuff that he was promoting, it was much, to me, the ethos that he was describing was as much about playing with force and Darwin has talked yes. about this as well as anything else. And so where do you think that leaves the team in terms of its guards? And, and first of all, do you agree with that idea? And do you think there's room for both? And and what do you think ultimately wins out? Because it's just an interesting dynamic that they have now with, well, with all of this mix of uh, perimeter players. Yeah, I think you need both, but I trend more toward the nasty physical type of guys. And that's the thing about our guards is that Russ provides an inordinate amount of the force and physicality from our guard guard spot. Our other guys have a nasty disposition. They're pesky. They'll get up into you, Dennis, Pat Bev, guys like that. But they can only play with a certain amount of force. There was uh, in the Miami game a few games back, they started the second half and Bev was guarding Jimmy Butler and he was doing his very best. And, but they were going to that every time in the post because there's just that big of a size mismatch. Well, Russ took Jimmy a few times in that game and forced several turnovers, forced multiple turnovers because he's going to battle him for position. He's been wonderful at fronting the post, and that really helps execute more of a small ball style is you do your job, you force that post catch out farther out onto the perimeter. Sometimes you're going to get a steal as he does, um, but that allows that low man uh, to, to double, which has been part of our strategy when we front the post, but he's executing a crucial part of the defensive scheme that none of our other guards can do. That's the important point in this is that you can't ask Dennis to do that. Dennis is a guy that guards have been taking down into the post. Bev can't guard a guy like Jimmy. There's just some point where he, he just can't do it at, to that degree. And so that that is part of both trade considerations in terms of like if we trade Russ, like we have to bring back a certain degree of physicality. I'm thinking it's less likely than ever before that, that we do trade Russ. And so I would like to have another guard that, and this is a, a trade want or positional need that I don't think we've talked about much, but that I'd love to have one like physical point of attack guard because I think Dennis and Bev, they can do that, but they're just not big enough to do it. And then on the skill front, that's another conversation to be had is I think that come higher level basketball, we're a little skill deficient. And so we need some, we need shooting in particular uh, to come back on the other side of that. And so anyway, a lot of places there, but Russ in particular provides so much of that physicality for our guard core that I think that like he's become an essential part of our defense just as much as anything. And he's not a guy that we talk about from through a defensive lens very often. No, he's not. And it's interesting, like, I think Mike was able to um, ask Darvin about Russ's defense very recently, and Darvin offered some good feedback, I thought, about what, like where Russ is helping, and a lot of it did center on on the things that you just discussed, right, which is his physicality and his ability to guard up, and, and basically Russ defensively being more of a forward than he is a guard at this point. I agree with you that the physicality and the force is needed on defense as much as possible. It's one of the reasons why I think 
the idea intrigues LeBron about playing bigger, it's because it allows the Lakers to then do more things defensively. Yes. Um, and engage teams in well in ways defensively defensively that they just haven't been able to do much of this season just based off of injuries um because lebron's really been at his best of late right without ad it's it's been injuries but it's also darvin has started to calibrate more toward going bigger there have been several times earlier in the season where it's like you don't have to play a four guard lineup here you're choosing sure. to right and so i think it's a, it's a, it's certainly a, a I think we may have gotten to this point because of the injuries, because it's like, oh, we don't have our guys available. But I think that I've seen Darvin shift in that respect, too, that I think is notable. Well, I think it's also earlier during the season, he was playing a bunch of small guys. And like I said, I think that the perception of what the Lakers were offensively carried over for a long time, I think even with the coaches. Hmm. So a lot of the decisions were geared towards trying to promote good, good offense. Because the defensive identity of the team was wrapped up in like, hey, we got Anthony Davis. And so AD was doing a lot to cover up the sins of the Lakers defense. And so a lot of these other choices were made to help to promote the offense, which in the early part, in the early part of the season, I think it's worth reflecting on since this is more of a reflective pod, is that for those first like five, six, seven games, the Lakers had like a sub 100 offensive rating like they were terrible (laughs) it wasn't just that they couldn't hit outside shots it's like they couldn't hit shots at all oh yeah the offense looked constipated i mean yeah yeah they were they were truly an awful awful offense and so all of those times where you swing it to jta and he misses an open three or he double clutches or he drives a closeout and pat bev is doing the same thing and you're just like okay well let's play matt ryan then Right. Or like, okay, well, we're going to continue to go back to none. None has to play better soon. Right. And none is playing better now. But in the first part of the season, it was like he looked lost. Right. And it's like, well, TB is not making his threes. Well, then we need the lob threat guy. Right. So we're playing Jones. And it's just like all of this searching. It was searching, searching, searching. It was searching for spacing. Right. It was like vertical spacing with Jones. It was outside spacing with guys like Matt Ryan and to a certain extent, it was, okay, well, even after stuff started to turn offensively, it was still, okay, well, what we're doing is working now. Let's keep doing that, right? And so we will play smaller. But now, but then this is where I think the injury stuff did kick in, Pete. It was like, well, JTA got hurt. And then it was like, well, we actually don't have any forwards, right? LeBron's out. Well, then who are you going to play? If LeBron and JTA are out, well, then who are your forwards? Mm-hmm. Right. And that is just like, and AD needs to play center and you don't quite trust TB yet. Yeah. Right. And remember, TB didn't even come back for 13 games. So like the Lakers have played for D1. So that's a third of the season that he basically missed. And so when we talk about all of the learning that the team has done, a lot of it was impacted by who is and isn't available and are they available at the same, same time. And now I think The fact of who the leftovers are, which are the JTAs and the Pat Bevs and the like, these are the guys who are all healthy right now, although we don't know yet about Pat Bev. He left the Nuggets game with a hip injury on a very slippery Nuggets floor. Yeah, apparently so. Yeah. Like a lot of guys just Russ had one too. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Like for no reason. Anyways, side point. So 
I'd love to see what choices get made. And I've been talking about this a lot this season, but I'd love to see what choices get made when more when like almost all of the roster is available at the same time. Right. Because that to me is going to tell us what Darwin actually believes in as a philosophy, um, because like I like that none has found his offensive game. Right. I think his lights a little too green. I think his eyes are a little too big for his stomach at times, but that's just his game. And I know that the coaches are encouraging him to be aggressive yes. because that's how you are going to get the best out out of him offensively. But in the bigger picture, when you have like I look at none in the same way I look at Lonnie to a certain extent, yes. like if you're Very putting similar. the ball in the butt, like if you're putting the ball in the basket, great. But if you're not, what's the pivot at that point? Right. And to me, and disagree with me if uh, you like here, because I'd love to have a conversation about it, is to me, the core players are obviously LeBron, AD. I think Russ has played his way into a core player from a bench position. Oh, yeah. And then Dennis. Yes. And then Thomas Bright. Mm-hmm. And then Austin Reeves. To me, those are like the core players of the team within the context of what their specific roles are right now. And that's Austin to me coming off of the bench. It's not Austin as a starter at this point. And to me, like, I think Bev has worked his way into sort of being on the periphery of that conversation because Mm -hmm. of his just his mentality and his approach and like the intangible stuff that he brings. I I think that stuff does does have value. And if he's making this three pointer, then that's important, too. And so that's where I'm just like, okay, well, well, Lonnie, hmm, Kendrick, hmm, like Max, you're a rookie. Right. Yeah. Wenyon, I think Wenyon is like another one of those periphery core players. Brown I think probably he should fits be in the rotation yeah. every, like like every night. And so we're like seems we're on the same page a little bit with some of this. But I'd love to hear your thoughts on all of that in general. I, I love that core six idea. Um, and ideally we get to eight or nine. And there again, there are other guys. We're in a similar spot with for me, it's Bev. Wenyon and Troy Brown are that next tier. I, I, I've wished all year Max Christie was 22 years old instead of 19, right? He'd totally be in this mix. That said, like his rate of improvement, just real quick on last night's game, he was really good. And not just in terms of hitting shots, but just like knowing where to be and and getting that corner three oftentimes. He snaked the pick and roll and hit a lefty floater. He's just adding to his skill set in ways that super impressive. But anyway, yeah, Max to me is a great fill-in guy because that whole idea of what decisions will Darvin make when he has the full complement of of players. Well, we're 41 games in and that ain't happened yet. And so there's yeah. a certain degree of fill-in that I think Max has done a really good, great job of, you know, when, when he's gotten the chance of, of filling in there. And so filling out, going from that, those six players to eight at the very least, while having those peripheral guys still to whatever degree you can. Uh, that to me is the step that gets us from, hey, Lakers are a pretty good team now, even though our record doesn't quite reflect that, uh, to that next level of, hey, we can contend for something. And so that to me is like where it goes forward from here is I really like Wenyon and Troy Brown, for example. I would also like to not have to play them in our deep playoff rotation. They're, they're guys that I think help get you there that can play in certain matchups and certain lineups and certain situations. But that to me is the next step is I think we've built out our middle class of this team between Den, uh, between Dennis TB and Austin in particular, I think a couple more guys in that sort of ilk. And I think we're in business. 
Yeah, I'd actually want them to be upper middle class players sure. to tell you the truth, right? Like guys who are just like, hey, like look at it, buy the home maybe. Yes. <laughs> right. Rather than like, oh, I'm a I'm I'm a lifetime renter here. So So you're looking for better players than Dennis and TB in those no, spots. I think Dennis and TB fill integral roles within the context of what positions they play. Right. right. But what and, I'm saying is so, like the guy I, I guess what I'm asking you is like the guy that we need, to me, as as much as I've liked Dennis and TB and their contributions, if if they're your fourth and fifth best players on the team, you're probably not contending for something, right? And so to me, like I you'd need somebody that at least one player that is you would consider globally as a better player than them. Yeah, but I think globally within the context of what is your skill set, right? Sure. And so Dennis is a he can be a scoring guard who sets up your offense and competes his ass off defensively. Like there's gonna be players who in a global sense are better than him. Right. Because if you're a big wing who can hit threes and run a pick and roll, well, you're super valuable, too. Right. And and globally, you may be a better player. But also, if you have that guy instead of Dennis, you might be like, oh, well, you know what the Lakers really need? They kind of need a ball pressure guard who can yep. like get and navigate screens. It, it's it's like when you build out a team, you need almost everything. Right. And it's it's super easy in these trade discussions, too, to stay in the theoretical. And one of the things halfway through the season is like, this is your team. The team is already a thing. And whatever preconceived notions you had about it before the season, if you haven't revisited them quite a bit in the 41 games in training camp since, I, I don't think you're quite doing it right. Because like, this is a great point you make because you have to, whatever trades or moves that we make have to be made with that in mind, with that uh, understanding of what are we, what are the holes that we're missing in our context? Because you're exactly right that globally speaking, it doesn't matter. It's how do they fit in on this team? Yeah. And so if I could make a summarizing point about where I see the roster, like I think Dennis is a totally fine starting point guard for this team. I think he's better than fine defensively for the role that he provides. Mm -hmm. And offensively, I think he's played above his head a little bit considering how many jumpers that that he's hit. But his speed and getting downhill and getting to to the basket, it's been a vital ingredient to the team's offensive identity. Right. I think Thomas Bryant has been a totally good center, starting caliber center, offensively, particularly and on the backboards. I'd love to hear your thoughts on Austin, too. He's a guy we haven't talked about as much because he's less front of mind being out. But I think his emergence has added to this overall point. Yes. And so when you look at those two guys specifically, like I see them as starting caliber players and I see them as filling Real roles. Yes. And, and their skill sets are important to this specific brand of of Lakers basketball. My opinion of Austin has not really changed in meaningful ways, but I think I do see him more as like a backup now more than ever. And someone who is that connecting player that he he has the ability to morph into a lower usage guy. But I think that that's actually not what he's best at. I still mm. think that he's. If you want to get the best out of Austin Reeves, it's a, it's still a guy who's going to be taking in between eight and 12 shots a game. 
and someone who is running a fair number of pick and rolls and not just the guy who stands in the corner. Yes. Makes a bat cut here or there and is asked to be a spot up shooter. I think that in those games where he has struggled, it's just like, hey, well, Austin got eight shots, but six of them were spot up threes and only two of them went in and he drew some fouls. And so he's got nine points on eight shot attempts, but he went two for eight and he went six for six from the foul line. Right. And one of the shots that he made was a three. It's just like, okay, well, effective field goal percentage, you're right around like 50, 55 or whatever. But it's just like that's not who he is when he's at at his best. It's just like let him let him create some. Um, And defensively, I think he's much more of a point guard than he is anything else. They've asked him to guard bigger players and bigger players have just been taking it to him. And I think that that's like you want his ability to play hard, to be leveraged where playing hard is actually going to give him advantages rather than playing hard. Him having to play hard is just allowing him to keep pace or keep up. Yeah. Right. And, and and so like, I love Austin, but that's sort of where I see him now, as I've seen now a season and a half worth of him. That doesn't mean that he can't be more than that, like in the future, but for this specific team, I like seeing him next to Russ in those bench units and with a running big, right? Yep. Like, and this is why when you talked about the things that you think the Lakers need in any potential trade, I'm looking much more now at a three and D wing who has small forward size yes, but can guard forward. shooting guards. Yes. The three and the two spot. Isn't that isn't that funny? That's not something that we would have thought. And it's no, funny I that we ended, we landed on the the same positions too. That's where I'm at as well. Yeah, I was looking much more at like a combo three four, a four. guy who could slot next to LeBron and AD, someone who could play in a closing lineup that way. And I think that that's still super important. But if this guy is actually a two three, like that's also super valuable next to a LeBron and AD combo, and he's not slotting between them, he's slotting yep. beneath them, and. And then you can do whatever you want with your backcourt players. Like, and maybe that is Russ and Dennis. Sure. Right. Like who are playing with speed and with power and, and offer a certain amount of dynamic athletic play within the context of what their own sort of skill sets are. That's so funny. You landed on a similar position as, as me in terms of like what you're looking at in the trade market and it being a, a different place. I still think we need that 3-4 as well, which I know you're also saying, but I think it's both of those things are true. So very curious to see where things go and we'll have more conversations about that. We'll be back tomorrow. I think continue reflecting a little bit. Hopefully Mike's back on, on the next one so he can join us. Uh, but until then, even this in the Laker Film Room podcast, we'll catch you guys next time. James has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tips to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic, got it. Magic fires. It's good. The Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Rebound is Lonnie. Three seconds left. Van next to the winner. It's on the way. Good. Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds. Shot with his eighth block shot that an NBA Finals record. A lot of Laker fans okay, sticking so around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Ryan spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Freddie pass. And it's back to a three-point game.
Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two, one, miss it. It's over. Shot clock now to five. Bryant. Yes. And that was a little tough to Alvin Gentry. Add insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic trying to disrupt Rondo. He puts it in. Here's Davis. 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters.